Hi, you're listening to Driven E-Commerce at Work, a podcast that brings you conversations with the e-commerce experts on their processes and the lessons learned. And I'm your host, Shiva Kumar, Head of Digital Strategy at DCCAP. This is actually uh, part two of uh, Fireside Q&A chat with Alan Kent, uh, e-commerce developer advocate at Google. He was with uh, Magento Commerce and uh, eBay prior to that. Uh, if you haven't listened to the part one where uh, he talked about a Google Merchant Center, please go out and listen to it and just come back over here. Now let's get on to the episode. So uh, I'll start with uh, your role, uh, just to give some background to the listeners. And uh, you know, I, I don't even have any uh, idea about that. So can you tell us a little bit about, uh, so what is your role at uh, Google as an e-commerce uh, developer advocate? Yes, so it was interesting when I joined Google. So I had um, had come from Magento and they weren't quite sure exactly where to fit me in. So developer advocate was a little bit arbitrary in terms of the, of the name, but the general goal of a developer advocate is to uh, get Google knowledge, Google experiences, Google information out to the community. So that is one aspect of it. And the other aspect of it is to bring that information back into the organization. So by talking to customers, by talking to, in this case, merchants, um, to talk to platforms, we bring that information back in to the internal teams. So I spend as much time talking to various internal teams, making sure they understand how the community works, um, understanding how the role of agencies, uh, the role of SEO. Um, it, it's interesting that many of the teams within Google often have great knowledge of their particular areas, but don't actually understand how the old whole e-commerce space works. And so they don't always understand the difference between a technology partner, a, an agency such as yourself, well, yourself, you do both in some ways. And so part of it is making sure that people under, in turn, inside Google understand the, the community better and so can direct what they build, um, solving real problems for real people out in the outside world. So it's a little bit of going both ways within Google, both collecting information. So one of the other projects I've got going on at the moment, for example, is we're revising the search documentation for organic search. And there is actually a, a group that's been set up that anybody can join who wants to provide feedback on the documentation and the direction it's going. And we're using that then to get external feedback on the documentation before we publish it to make sure we're publishing the most useful documentation for developers. So uh, I've been using Google Pay. I'm not sure if it's uh, there across other countries as well. So I'm talking about India. So I believe Google Spot was launched around uh, end of last year, I guess. So it looks like an interesting concept. Right? So can you please elaborate uh, a little bit about, you know, uh, about that and why it was actually launched in India and uh, how was it successful? How was it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I probably can't talk about the successful side of things just because I'm actually not uh, in the Google Pay team, and so I've got to be wary of, of, there actually are developer advocates for Google Pay specifically, and they may be able to share more data. Um, I can say, it's doing well, 
uh, yeah, okay, that's not a particularly useful answer. Um, the part of the reason is historical. So there's actually a really strong Google Pay team in India. Um, it used to be part of the TES platform. And so a number of these different payment platforms have been brought underneath the one umbrella. And so it, it's also a strong and emerging market. I mean, uh, India is you know, exploding at the moment. And so it, it's a completely logical place to try some of these new experiences. One, you've got local expertise. Two, it is a massive and growing market. Um, I would say that the e-commerce market in the US, yes, it's big, but it's pretty stable. There's not a lot of change going on there. And so with uh, new emerging markets, it's also easier to get adoption with new techniques. And so uh, to me, the Google Spot platform is a particularly interesting one from multiple perspectives. There is the, the, the payment aspect to it, but it's also to me a, an experiment in the, the mini app sort of space, the ability to build small custom experiences for people, which you can tie into your own store. Um, so you can have a physical store, have a spot there, scan the code, bring up these um, um, in-store experiences. It could be deeper product information. It could be payments information if you just want to pay directly. So it's, it's an interesting experiment to see how it works. And there are different regulations in payments per country. So it is a matter of you have to take these products per country one by one, make sure you're satisfying all the local regulations. And so it's not like, well, we've got it working, just roll it out globally. No, you have to worry about all the local laws in each country one by one. And that's why Google Pay is available in such a, certain countries and Spot is available in less. It, it's just an incremental um, rollout, making sure that you cross all the T's and dot all the I's uh, in, in the process. Um, I think it is a smaller one. I think, you know, it, it's no surprise. Not everything at Google does works. We try things and it's part of the culture of Google is to um, explore and try new, uh, push new boundaries. And if it doesn't work, well, um, we don't just hold on to it for the sake of holding on to things. So uh, Google Spot is one I particularly like. I think it's got very interesting possibilities and that crossover between the physical world into your online space. Um, I also like that it's easier to do app development. You can do all sorts of interesting kiosk um, style experiences and it's really up to um, you how to use it. Um, a fun one, I mean, certainly we're not the only people doing QR code sort of strategies. So I'd be not suggesting that for a moment. Um, and some of the stories I've heard is like, um, you can walk into a, a, a restaurant or a cafe, you scan the code on the table, it brings up a menu, you order your menu from your own fam app, you hit a button. Well, that QR code also included your table number. So the waitress or the waiter brings the food and your, what you ordered directly to your table. You didn't have to order, you didn't have to wait for them to come to actually submit your order. You just ordered it from your phone. Um, you pay from your phone uh, you, and when you've done, you just walk out and leave. And so. It, it can make it more efficient. And it was possible because the QR code on that particular table had the table number built in. And so you can actually explore with different sorts of uh, e-commerce experiences using these sorts of platforms uh, in new and novel ways that weren't possible before. So it's, I think it's interesting. That's why I actually enjoy e-commerce. It's just because of the, the variety people have. Yeah. And especially in countries like India, I mean, with the absence of Apple Pay. So we've been seeing that uh, for the past couple of uh, months, I would say. Uh, I think uh, merchants are evolving at the same time, you know, offline stores are evolving as well. And they're trying to go online. 
So I believe, I strongly believe that, you know, Google Pay was helpful, and I'm sure that uh, Google's part is going to be helpful for the merchants as well. So uh, can you explain, uh, you know, how, so this is more on the technical side. So can you explain a little bit about, uh, you know, how ML and uh, NLP is uh, helping, you know, improve the user experience in e-commerce, uh, particularly, you know, on managing and searching huge catalog of products, you know, uh, I think you had uh, written a blog on the same, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I've missed which one, the, yeah, on what YAML, topic? YAML and NLP. Oh, machine learning and natural language processing. Yeah, yeah. so again, it's sort of interesting. And so what I'd written a blog on, um, Google has got all sorts of different technologies. And so one of them, for example, is vision recognition. And if you've got a large catalog of products, it's just interesting, to, for example, to say things like color. And you might think, color's simple, isn't it? You've just got simple colors. Well, um, product people like creating interesting product names at times. And uh, I, I, one that really stuck in my memory was um, baby powder or, or something. It was a color name. And it's sort of like, what the heck is baby powder? And it turned out to be light blue. And so, if you'd used that product information directly from the supplier and you fed that into your catalog and somebody searched for blue, it wouldn't find that product. And so where, where it became interesting was the idea of using uh, vision search against all of the products in your catalog and it would actually um, automatically come up with a number of aspects and recognize out of those products. So for example, it would say, it could recognize it, oh, I think this is a party dress um, I think the primary color or the main colors are and it would list the colors out. And so it would come up with a number of product attributes, which didn't rely on the original product data. And what you may decide is, well, vision recognition is great, not always perfect. Maybe I don't show it on the site because I'll just use the product data I've got. That's your call. But you can still use it on behind the scenes on site search so that when somebody searches for blue, it will bring up that product showing, even though the product description, the, the, the field color is actually saying baby, baby powder or whatever it was, um, it will still match searches based on blue because um, you're not conveying any information you don't trust, you haven't reviewed, but you're giving, uh, you're bringing up products that you may not have brought up before. And so that these um, vision recognition systems, uh, it's an interesting way of getting, augmenting your product data so you're able to provide better experiences to users. Machine learning in general, there's just so many things you can do with it. Um, like just understanding what searches are then feed into. Now, for, for somebody running a Magento site, this may actually be more interest for the, the extension developers rather than the merchants directly, because it, it does take effort to set up. Uh, or if you're a larger merchant, you may be worthwhile doing it directly. But you can start doing things like saying, well, I know that when people searched on this term, they clicked on this item, maybe I should be giving that a slight ranking burst for my on-site experience. Or personalization experiences. If I know something about the user and I know when they query for fossils, they're more interested in rocks rather than fossil handbags, maybe when they come back to my site on my homepage, I will show them more mountain boots rather than ladies' accessories. And so when they come back, you may be showing, uh, have your um, featured product of the day on the homepage. Well, if you know 
what they're interested in, if you can start categorizing and start learning from what they did on your site previously, oh, they're probably interested in the outdoors. And so you can define your, your segments and perform um, automatic segmentation based on what they've um, visited. Then you can direct them at different um, product uh, placements and recommendation experiences. And these techniques are known to improve conversion rates uh, for people. So using these technologies is getting easier and easier. It's all, um, there are, the, the TensorFlow libraries are all supplied. I was just playing around with a library yesterday, which is not really for e-commerce. Well, actually, it it's, is actually rec uh, usable for e-commerce, which is it can recognize your face and put a mesh over your face real time through a web browser via JavaScript. Now, the e-commerce application is if you want to try glasses on your face or you want to try makeup on your face, if, if it can recognize with the position of your face, then it can superimpose that imagery over the top and you can do it with JavaScript in a web browser, which to me is just pretty darn amazing that you can get the performance that good. And so a lot of these experiences, are, you can create more engaging user experiences to um, fully understand your products better. And do you have to do all these experiences? No. But there's more and more competition out there. And so if your claim to fame is I've got a list of products and I've got a, a, a catalog and that's it, you know, products, click and buy. Well, you're competing with a whole lot of other people. Pretty well anybody can do that. And so how do you engage your community better? How do you create new experiences where you can offer something that your competitors can't so that people come back to you? because you've got the, the challenge of getting people to come to you. You've got the people uh, challenge of them coming back a second time, um, your acquisition versus retention challenges. And so the more you can use machine learnings to actually get people to return, your conversion rate goes up, but you need to do something different to your competitors. And so it's always a matter of trying to work out where you're going to invest. And I think the machine learning technologies are getting easier and easier. Um, I won't say trivial, but the more you can learn from the characteristics of your users on your site, the better ex uh, experience you can provide to them when they, they come back to your site. So I'm going to pick a couple of questions from the attendees as well. Um, so here's one question. Does uh, Google penalize if we do not use the Google Merchant Center? It's not a matter of penalize. So it's also a question of what um, um, experience you're in. So organic search will not penalize you if you're not in, like it's not a negative ranking signal. Google Merchant Center is not uh, a uh, ranking signal to my knowledge at all. It is more about, if you remember on the home uh, earlier page, it was different search experiences. And so it would say, um, well, here's a review for this item. I found five-star rating reviews. We've, uh, Google collects ratings from different sources, including your own site, and you can you feed this all this information in for products. And so, well, we can only show that rating information if we find a page and we know it's a product page. And so it's not a matter of penalizing. It's more a matter of you missing out on experiences if you don't tell Google richer information. If we don't know that this web page is a product page, we're not going to include that product page in experiences. Now, that doesn't mean you're automatically going to get in one if you've got that data because we can only display so many products within it. And there's, there's so ranking still does come into it. There's a number of different factors, but it's not a matter of being penalized. It's more a matter of um, not being eligible for experiences. Um, 
we can't bring you up on a map search if you don't tell us where your inventory is. That's another example. You know, you've got to tell us the information for us to be able to use that information in these different sorts of search experiences. Okay. Okay. And here's another question regarding uh, product feed. <clears throat> if I were to send product availability and uh, price data uh, in my product feed, and if I have to structure uh, data also configured on my website, so which data would take preference? Yeah. So. Uh, there are different rules in terms of that. And so one of the features I talked about is there's actually a setting um, that you can turn on. So normally it will use the feed, but it may flag then to sort of say, because if your website gets updated more rapidly, uh, it's become so common of an issue that there is actually a setting now in Google Merchant Center that you can tell it to take the website and override the feed data on the assumption that uh, if you've got a, a website and uh, like a, driven by something like Magento and you go into the admin panel and you update the price, it'll be instantly on the website reflecting that price. And so you can actually tell there's a setting in Google Merchant Center to say, look, if you see a discrepancy, update my data with the website data because it, it is more, uh, more fresh. It'll be up to date more uh, rapidly. And so if you don't set that setting, we'll use the feed data, but potentially flag that product to sort of say, hey, this looks strange. What's going on here? Um, is everything good? Um, and I can't tell you the exact uh, rules for those sorts of checks. Um, but there is a setting, as I said, to say the website, I've detected a difference. Just use the website data on the assumption that it's fresher. I, I can't remember the name of the setting off the top of my head, sorry, but there is a setting in Google Merchant Center to tell it to automatically update the, the feed with the, the website data. Okay. So this is regarding the e-commerce. So since most merchants these days use platforms like Magento, Shopify, uh, e-commerce, eBay, et cetera. So does Google recommend any top extensions for these platforms, uh, extensions that may be, you know, kind of like Google approved? Um, we're always looking at different extensions, uh, but it's very hard for Google to recommend one. Um, different reasons that there's, you know, if I took one point of view, we don't operate e-commerce sites at the end of the day. And so we can look at the technical evaluation. We, we talk to many of these platforms. If they ask us questions, we're happy to sort of talk to them and give them recommendations and advice on how to do it in the best way possible. Um, but we, we don't operate a website. We don't know what the, the support is like. And so we tend to not make recommendations um, there may be exceptions from time to time, um, just because we don't necessarily have the best input. And so getting feedback from agencies, getting feedback from other merchants, I'd actually trust those reviews more than one from Google. Uh, we do work with these platforms a lot, but as I said, it's really to make sure they're doing the best job they can and make sure they're aware of the options and how to do the best thing. So we tend not to recommend specific ones. Um, we do recommend ones that we build. Uh, so sometimes we, uh, Google does build extensions. And so, oh, there's a surprise. We recommend the ones we build. And the benefits are they, they generally um, kept up to date in sync with uh, Google technologies better. But it doesn't mean they're the best extension. They may actually be a better extension for your particular needs not built by Google. Um, that's absolutely fine. Um, it really is a sort of a mix. We often provide one to make sure there is a good option. People can, if they don't want to think too much, just use our one. Um, but it's not like a, 
oh, no, 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 we're trying to take over the extension market. No, we're just trying to make sure there is a good option for people who uh, just want a default option. But there's so many platforms we can't afford to, uh, and we're not experts in all of these platforms. And so often an extension developer will do a better job or we simply pay an extension developer to go off and build something. So it, it's, it's uh, yeah, but recommendations, that's something we generally steer away from. Um, one, I wouldn't trust them even if we did. And two, it, it, there are other sources that I would trust more, uh, such as you know, agencies such as yourself who actually use them on multiple projects. You'll have a much better idea and be able to provide better uh, advice than uh, Google will be. Okay. So uh, here's another question regarding the feed. So I had a conversation with the merchants who owns an online store. Um, they have this sort of like weird request of uh, generating different data feed than their website, uh, like different title and then the different description of the product. So how Google actually handles this? You know, I, I'm not sure if you answered this, but let's say uh, will Google compare web crawl along with the feed? Yes, we do compare them. Um, because what we're trying to do is to work out information about the product. Well, we don't want to, we, we want to present one product. Um, and we want to represent that same product and we need to, um, if you're in the sh uh, Google shopping tab experience, we're going to bring up the product information there. If you're on the organic search, we want to bring it up there. We, we don't want sort of like three variants. Well, it's a little bit tricky because it's sort of like the idea of having variants of products but then there's the concept of saying, here is one product. I'm really only got one product. I really only want one product listed on the, the, the store. Um, how do I get that result in there? Well, we've got one view of the product that we're trying to build up. And it's you know, frequently based on like the GTIN number or similar, some global unique identifier. And we will merge these results and we'll also at times detect variance between them. And um, I can't describe the exact algorithms. One, I don't know the exact algorithms, and two, I'm not going to tell them if I did, because part of it is for issues like we want to make sure that people aren't trying to mislead shoppers. And so my general advice is, um, there's exceptions to all rules, but my general advice is what you're trying to do is to have Google understand what that product is. That's what the feeds are for. That's what the structured data is for. Um, there needs to be a reason uh, why you're trying to present the same product in different ways. And generally I would lean away from that. I'd be saying trying to get the best experience, but uh, there are re specific cases and I'm, I'm not going to say that it'll never work and you should never do it. Um, but my general guidance is to avoid it because we do compare the data because we're trying to make sure people aren't doing malicious things. I'm not saying they're trying to do malicious in this case, but some people do. They try and put up um, uh, feed one lot of information via the feed and then they have a completely different quality product at the end of the day. And what they're trying to do is to get search traffic to their product. And so it looks wonderful in Google shopping tab and then you click on the product, go to the user's website and it's something completely different. And it's a terrible experience for the user or it's a lower quality product or the price is quite different. And it's a bad user experience. And so it's the people trying to game the system. They're the ones we're trying to block. But how do you do it? Well, you check the fields, you compare the website, you can compare the data. And so if the more different it is, the more it may get flagged in these things to sort of say, hey, something, something's fishy going on here. And so I'm sort of wary of those sorts of strategies. Um, Google will change 
algorithms used to detect fraud from time to time internally? No, we don't publicize that information. So there's always the risk then that you're going to get triggering these experiences by accident, uh, even if it was in, there's a good reason for it, um, why you want to provide that different information. So my general advice is I, I'd steer away from it because I'm worried about you triggering one of these fraud sorts of check experiences. Um, but feel free to reach out to me. I, I mean, I'm on Twitter, akent99. Um, always drop me a message or try and find me uh, other mechanisms like LinkedIn and so forth. So it's interesting to understand the needs for it because that's the sort of information I bring back to the internal teams is, oh, why don't we support this case? And that would be the sort of information I'm quite happy to bring back internally. But my general advice is no, don't try and do that sort of thing. You risk getting your products flagged and, and so forth. Perfect, perfect. So here's one final question from the session. Uh, so you talked about Google Shopping tab. Uh, can you help us with some best practices to optimize the feeds? Uh, I mean, to improve the ranking, like two or three best practices you want uh, merchants to learn or implement? Yeah, so to, to, when you get into the ranking and how your position goes up, um, that really gets into the SEO field. And, and so that's nothing to do really with Google Merchant Center. Um, as I said, Google Merchant Center is more about the experiences. Now, having said that, things change all the time internally as people try out new experiences. So I'm not going to guarantee that it's never relevant. Um, but at the moment, I found no indication that makes any difference to your ranking. So what makes a difference to the ranking? The ranking is more about making sure your content is interesting to people doing searches. So if you want it to appear higher, it is the normal um, SEO strategies. Make sure you've got good descriptive words that line up to what people are searching. Uh, the richer the information you can provide to Google, the better we're able to understand it, the more we can bring that to people who might not have found it otherwise. Um, if a product has been searched by lots of people, think about different terms. So rather than going for the top search terms, think about other different sorts of search terms that people might be using that your competitors are not. And so, um, you know, like, should you use pants versus trousers? You might think about different sorts of, um, like if I'm appealing to a particular community and they tend to use different hip terminology, I'm not hip, so I don't really know what the terminology might be. But if you can work out terms that other people aren't finding, this is where uh, the SEO um, comes into it is, looking through trends of searches to work out, well, what are people searching that is a little bit different and how can I tailor for those needs? And so what some people do is they create multiple pages uh, for content and they tweak the different pages. And it's sort of like there's pros and cons of these sorts of techniques um, and there's not a single answer. And, and that's why, and I can't say, like if everybody picked different terms, well, there wouldn't be any main one anymore. So it, it's, there's no single universal way, but it's really the content is what I'd be focusing on. Making sure you're satisfying some group of users' needs so that when they enter a search, they're more likely to find your product. Okay. So uh, we're towards the end of the session. So here's one uh, personal question that I actually wanted to ask you. So you, you have a long association with uh, the search engines, right? So you worked with uh, Cassini search engine, rewrote the project for eBay, and today you're in Google, right? So the mother of all search engines. So how has e-commerce uh, search improved uh, in the past 10 years or 20 years 
Has it improved? Uh, absolutely. And um, I was involved in search before I came to eBay. So back in Australia, um, I did my PhD in search indexing techniques, which is, um, and then we built, we did a research project. It got spun out into commercial product. It was a whole fun journey. So that's, I didn't just arrive at eBay and run the search engine team for no reason. My whole career has actually been in search. But if I looked at Google, for example, there was a pure, and back in the early days, it was pure algorithmic ranking. How do you try and uh, be purely recall and precision and trying to get your, the most accurate products towards the top? And search terms was um, key there. These days, if you look at a Google search, as I said, I just did a query for backpacks, and there's a whole series of different search experiences that come up. And I think a lot of that now is where the more advanced search capabilities are coming in is trying to understand the user's intent, trying to build up experiences, trying to guess what they're really after based on maybe on previous queries as well to sort of say, well, they keep asking about backpacks and pricing information. I think they're more likely to be doing a shopping. Can we work out what part of the shopping journey they're during and bring up information more relevant to that? And so I think a lot of the more recent experiences in, if you like, look at Google search, is there so much diversity in experiences in trying to work out the intent of the user and what stage they are and bringing up the most appropriate results based on that. And so more recently, I think that is where a lot of the advances are being made, not purely in the ranking experiences, but trying to come up with better experiences and a better UX um, and that center and structured data to help Google understand the different aspects of your product so that we can use that data to bring the products into those experiences uh, matters. And I think that's where things are heading more at the moment. Cool. Perfect, Alan. Uh, thank you so much for taking this extra time and uh, clearing our answers and answering all those attendees' questions. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Thanks for tuning in. The topics that we've covered in this episode are listed under the show links in the podcast description. And if you haven't uh, subscribed already, just go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you keep getting notifications every Friday. And if you like this episode, uh, just go ahead and uh, share it with your friend or colleague of yours uh, who might find this interesting and useful. That's it for this week. Um, catch you guys very soon in the next episode. Until then, take care.